0: welcome to Sprout Radio. I'm your host, Ed Coyne, Senior Managing Partner at Sprout Asset Management. I'm pleased today to welcome back Ronnie Stolfel, Managing Partner at Incrementum AG. Ronnie, thank you for joining Sprout Radio.
1: Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me again. And yeah, Happy New
0: Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. Well, let's, let's start uh, with a recap of 2023. You know, As it relates to gold and gold equities, what were some of the highlights?
1: If we just have a look at the performance of gold last year, I think it's it's important to to emphasize that gold has made new all-time highs in basically every currency and also in US dollar terms again. When we talked the last time, I said actually gold is, is in a perfect uptrend. Gold is making new all-time highs in euro terms, in um, Swiss franc terms, in Japanese yen terms. And of course, in in all those very, very weak fiat currencies like the Turkish lira, Argentine peso and so on. But so far, we haven't seen a new all-time high in U.S. dollar terms. And that changed um, in the end of 2023. In U.S. dollar terms, gold was up roughly 13%. So I would say that's 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 pretty decent. In Chinese Yuan terms, for example, 16%. In Japanese Yen terms, 20%. In Canadian dollars, 10%. So it's been a very, very good year for gold. And the interesting thing, Ed, is that I can tell you that, you know, journalists, the usual suspects, they're calling me. We're getting um, interest, of course, from people that have always been interested in gold but we don't see new people coming in and i think if you have a look at the flows in gold etfs that's basically the confirmation of that thesis that the mainstream hasn't hasn't recognized yet that gold is actually doing tremendously well and that it has made new all-time highs in now really every currency so we are far away from a mania we are far away from this irrational exuberance and that's that's a pretty pretty good sign from my point of view when it comes to the mining space i would say the companies had to deal with the inflation pressure most of the companies that that we like i think they did a pretty good job and i think that inflation on the cost side should be fairly muted this year so we're seeing record high margins for, for many companies that we follow. But of course, we don't see any any risk appetite in the mining space. We're seeing that cost of capital has increased significantly. Financing project at 5% is a, is a really different story compared to basically 0%. And then what we also see is that political risk has come back in the last couple of months. So it's been a tough year for the mining space, but... But hey, I mean, that's, you know, that's a job that management teams have to take care of, navigating and allocating capital, uh, in a smart way in a, in a tough environment.
0: Let's go back to the currency statement for a moment. One of my favorite reports you do is the monthly gold compass. And one of the first things you talk about is exactly what you just mentioned, which is gold in different currencies. Talk a little bit more about why that's important. Why should investors be looking at what gold's doing in multiple currencies? Can you spend a little bit of time on that?
1: This table that's, that we basically show at, at, at every presentation, every keynote that we do and also in our monthly gold compass, showing um, the performance of gold In major currencies since the year 2000, it shows you um, the yearly performance of gold in US dollar terms, in euro terms, British pound, Australian dollar, Canadian dollar, Chinese yuan, Japanese yen, Swiss franc and Indian rupee. And then also the average performance in all those currencies. It's pretty fascinating that the average compound annual growth rate in all those currencies since the year 2000 is 8.7% per year. I would say that's that's a pretty decent performance from this um, pet rock and this uh, <laughs> useless useless thing that is just lying around. I think it, it it has done really well. And in U.S. dollar terms, for example, the compound annual growth rate was 8.6%. Uh, in Indian rupee, it was 11.6%. In Swiss franc terms, 5.7%. You know the Swiss franc continues to be one of the few safe haven currencies for good reasons and one of those reasons was probably also that um, uh, the gold affinity and the gold tradition in Switzerland is extremely high but what I what I want to emphasize with this table is gold is just fine gold is is rising in basically every currency. Of course, there, is, there are years when the US dollar is doing better or worse. There are years when uh, the Japanese yen is selling off like last year, for example. And, and I think, you know, that basically confirms our thesis. And this is, and this is really crucial to understand that it's, it's actually not the price of gold that is rising, it is the purchasing power of fiat money that is falling. And it's falling at mm. slightly different rates. But it's falling. So you need more and more units of US dollars, of euros, of British pound, whatever, to buy one unit of gold. And add just one thing, um, you know, our special charts, we, we sometimes take take it on a, on a lighter note. So we've got this gold beer ratio, for example, that we've been talking about. We've got the gold iPhone ratio that t- shows you the purchasing power um, of gold measured in iPhones. And uh, we will soon there's the big race the big downhill race in Kitzbühel so we said well actually everybody is complaining that the the ski tickets the lift tickets get more and more expensive every year we crunched the numbers and and found a database that showed us um the price of lift tickets since the year 1990 so measured in gold skiing became less expensive. And this is showing us, again, the job of gold is to protect your hard-earned money, to protect your purchasing Mm. power. And it's doing this job tremendously well.
0: Well, I don't know if you've seen this, but Costco in the fourth quarter reported they raised over a $100 million in selling one-ounce gold bars at their store. And it's become so popular that each member is limited to two bars. So... (laughs) Maybe people are going to start shopping with gold, particularly when they go skiing. It seems like that's a great value. (laughs) So that's I I love those charts when they come out. They're fantastic. The beer one still remains my favorite, but they're all really great. It's interesting also because rising rates and the dollar were both strong, yet gold performed well. Does that... Have you concerned? Does that have you excited about kind of the prospect of gold going forward? What would you say to that?
1: For some reason, people think that um, if they're positive on gold, they have to be negative on, on the U.S. dollar. We all know the de-dollarization thesis. We all know that that countries from the Middle East, uh, Asia, and so on, they're becoming slightly critical when it comes to our monetary system with with the world reserve and the world trade currency, U.S. dollar. But I think, you know, all those uh, forecasts that we're close to the end of the U.S. dollar, I think that's that's, that's a story that will play out over the next decades, probably. And before we see a significant move regarding de-dollarization, I think the first victim, will actually be the euro, so more of a de-euroization than a de-dollarization. And this is also what we're seeing when it comes to to the SWIFT numbers. Uh, And I'm not referring to Taylor Swift, but um, (laughs) the SWIFT banking data. So we see that actually the importance of the US dollar is growing while the importance of the euro in international trade is falling. Now, we all know that, you know, that the BRICS they keep on growing with five new members. Argentina backed out, so so they are more in the in the dollarization camp. But what I can tell you, Ed, and, th- and this is also very very important for you know the gold market itself. I did a, a, a keynote presentation in Dubai last November, and then held a seminar for the Dubai Gold Exchange. And I have to tell you, I was really, really impressed about the sophistication of market participants there, the infrastructure that is being developed, and also, you know, a very different attitude when it comes to gold. People really don't care about daily price fluctuations. They're more interested in the long-term picture. They're very, very self-confident when it comes to their region, be it Arabic countries, but also obviously China, India, Vietnam, Turkey, and so on. All those players, they're like the small brother that is quickly growing up and becoming very, very strong, but the big brother doesn't really recognize it yet, doesn't trust this development yet. So there is definitely in the gold world, I would say that that the flows into that direction, they're, they're getting bigger and bigger. We've also seen it with uh, central bank demand, and central bank gold demand has been the most important driver for the price of gold last year, I would say, or one of the most important drivers. And the majority of that demand is coming from BRICS nations, from emerging markets. For example, China has imported roughly roughly uh, 25,000 tons over the last 20 years, and they're still um, uh, the largest producer. They don't export any gold. India has imported 29,000 tons of gold and it is a one-way street, so it's not really coming back. So I think we in the, let's say, gold community should really, really emphasize the importance of Asian markets more and more. And and this is really one of the main insights that I gathered from this uh, trip to, to Dubai.
0: You know, the world has kind of awarded the S&P as as coming back. It's returned, right? It's hit new highs and so forth. Um, What I think is interesting is no one's talking about what gold has done. And and really over the last two years, gold's actually outperformed the S&P. And no one's really talking about that. You know, why do you think that's the case? Why do people sort of put their head in the sand and they put the S&P up on a huge mantle and they just sort of largely ignore what gold's been able to do? As you mentioned, long term it's done really well. And even on the short term, it's done you know, quite nicely to the point where it's actually even outperforming the S&P over the last two years. Why are people ignoring that?
1: Well, one reason probably is that the asset management industry isn't really interested in gold. Banks are not really interested in gold. It is not, not something where they make lots of money. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons, for example, if you sell as a bank. Uh, and over here in europe it's 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 possible to just walk into a, a a branch of a bank and buy physical gold but then the money is basically gone yeah if if you sell a mutual fund of course then you can charge management fees and so on so i think that's that is one of the reasons but then i would say from a psychological point of view i think that gold is still being regarded as a, a disaster hedge something you know that you buy if you Think or hope that hyperinflation, a civil war, uh, the next world war is approaching. So, this very negative view that is really something that bugs me because I think that you can make a very, very positive case for gold. It is this fear trade, but also this love trade that I um, uh, explained before, coming primarily from emerging market countries. So that's one thing. We just put out an article where we said in the when it comes to our monetary system there are basically three different camps. There are the believers that basically say well okay the Federal Reserve is doing a great job and you know they've uh, they've been a bit behind the curve and uh, for inflation of course it wasn't you know central bank policy that was responsible it was it was mainly those greedy business owners so this is the first camp the second camp is um, the skeptics and i think the skeptics that's that's a really growing camp they kind of feel that something is going into the wrong direction that this gap between the rich and the poor is is growing that government not not really trustworthy anymore they they're seeing that you know with alternative media coming up they're seeing that lots of the things that are being communicated are slightly different in reality and uh, this is a fairly large camp and those people i would say when they're in the financial financial industry, in banking and asset management, quite often they privately buy huge amounts of gold. But in their official role, they're kind of hesitant because, you know, recommending gold is something that, you know, as I've said before, they don't make any money on that. And then also it is something that in big institutions, it's people don't really like that. But privately they get it. And then there's the third camp, which is the critics. And those are the people that get it. They, they know history. They know monetary histi- history. They understand gold. They understand the virtues of real assets, of commodities in general, of, let's say, portfolio insurance and so on. And the interesting thing about that, Ed, is that it's actually a one-way street. So once you're in the critics' camp, You won't go back and say, well, well, actually, the Fed did a tremendous job and we we have to print a little bit more now and then do a little bit more quantitative tightening and so on. It is really a one way street. So I think that with every crisis, this camp is getting bigger and bigger. And I know so many people nowadays that just really get gold and understand why they've got gold in your portfolio. It's it's significantly more than, let's say, five or 10 years ago.
0: I was actually in Dallas last week, and it does seem to be the temperatures changing that more investors don't see it as, as one versus the other. They see it as part of the overall portfolio. They The way they look at cash or the way they look at bonds in a portfolio, it's a way to diversify the fund. It's not saying that they don't believe in the equities yes. they own. It's just this is there to support those. And Gold has done well. We, we, we know this. It's over 2,000 an ounce. It's, it's continuing to kind of do quite nicely in the market. It's doing its job, so to speak, yet silver kind of remains in the shadows. Why is that the case? Why are people not jumping on the silver bandwagon as much as we would anticipate, particularly because it's being consumed also. It's, it's a true commodity and it's getting used in products and services. What do you think needs to happen for silver to have some sort of breakout?
1: I think that silver really needs a breakout of the price of gold. I I never really believed in this decoupling theory that that silver is going to completely decouple from the price of gold. So I think silver needs a strong gold price. And so far, you know, we've we've had this this breakout, we've made new all-time highs but we haven't really made this decisive move that would take us to 2,300 pretty quickly. And I think once that happens, I think that silver will really pick up momentum and will start outperforming uh, gold. So the gold-silver ratio should be falling then. So when it comes to silver, it is discounting the fact that gold has not decisively broken out. But this could happen uh, in 2024. So, So I think that's... This year could actually be the year when silver really starts outperforming gold and then we can go quickly. I don't know, into the '30s and, or, or even higher, because I can tell you, nobody in the mainstream investing world really cares about silver at the moment. And as we've seen in the, in the uranium space, you know, Ed, Sprott is obviously a, a very, very big name in, in, in uranium. And, uh, Incrementum is running one of the very few investment funds in Europe investing in, in uranium mm-hmm. equities. And, and you know the, the simple supply-demand case that we've been marketing was there for many many years and then you know poof then really we reached that tipping point in uranium and now it is becoming more and more of a mainstream investment so why shouldn't it happen in the silver space as well where the supply demand uh, fundamentals are i would say crystal clear very very positive but it just needs this trigger and this momentum to really kick in and then the train starts moving
0: Let's talk a bit about cryptocurrencies. This is a topic I haven't brought up in the past last year or two, because it's been largely ignored. But more recently, we've had a suite of multiple ETFs coming online, giving investors exposure to cryptocurrencies. I know you've done some work Mm -hmm. on this in the past. What do you think that's going to mean for precious metals in general, as more investors now have access to this space through the ETFs?
1: We've been following this this monetary experiment for many years as private investors. And then we also launched two funds that actually combine gold with Bitcoin. So one of them, for example, Mm -hmm. is 75% physical gold stored in Liechtenstein and 25% Bitcoin with a rebalancing strategy and an options overlay where we actually harvest the enormous volatility in the Bitcoin space. Now, actually, Ed, I have to tell you, we faced lots of criticism from the gold camp but also lots of criticism from the Bitcoin camp, and 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 we wrote in our last Goldbe Trust report there's a civil war in the sound money camp. You know, from my point of view, you know, there's they're not enemies; they're rather, let's say, cousins. Of course, um, you know, Bitcoin is, is is hardly a teenager now and gold is around for five thousand years but we can see that bitcoin is is really growing up and with with those etfs now so i think this is really a milestone when it comes to you know the volume you know the market cap of gold is at the moment roughly 13 trillion while bitcoin is trading at one trillion roughly slightly lower gold according to the world gold council trades 140 billion per day while bitcoin on-chain and, and, and on crypto exchanges and CME futures trades roughly 40 billion. So you can see that gold still is significantly larger, but Bitcoin really is growing up. So therefore, our approach, I think, makes sense to, to combine the both. You know, both are life raft during a great uh, fiat flood, basically, that, that we're uh-huh. seeing. So both buying gold and buying Bitcoin are active decisions to leave the fiat money system and i think this is important now will bitcoin be around in 10 years ed i've got no idea chances are good you know lindy effect and you know so much developments in that space and if it will be around in 10 years then the price will probably be significantly higher but this is the reason um, there, there's still ch- a chance that competitors coming up or that some some um, technical uh, issues will arise. So therefore, we do like 75% physical gold, 25% Bitcoin. If Bitcoin goes bust, we still have 75% physical gold. So that is our mm-hmm. approach. We're all following a big monetary experiment and I think it's it's fascinating for me in the Bitcoin camp to, to meet so many young people in the Bitcoin camp that now find out about our monetary system, how it works, where inflation is coming uh, from. They, they start reading the Austrian School of Economics. So I think that's a very, very positive development and therefore I think you know they can both go along really well there they aren't competitors
0: it's interesting your last comment as i sort of travel around and we meet with private families and it's the, the founder of a business the parents of the business and then the kids of the parents bitcoin in general has brought a new generation into the precious metals narrative which has been really fascinating to watch that develop and i think that's going to continue as more people understand the importance of having a portion of their portfolio outside of the traditional system so i th- i think to your point they're cousins they work quite well together from an investment standpoint then as as listeners sort of listen to this podcast and think about the world whether it's on the physical side or the equity side how should they be looking at this i know that's a big ask but you know with your experience what would you tell an investor as they're looking to add to their portfolio and, and get exposure to gold how would they do it or how, how would you recommend doing that
1: People often ask me, should I buy physical gold or or mining equities now? And I say, "Well, well, actually, you know, completely different risk profiles. I like both, but with physical gold, if you store it perhaps, you know, outside of the banking system, that's a monetary hedge. For worst-case scenarios, but if you want to have, let's say, a performance gold, then you could really consider gold ETFs or gold mining ETFs. But obviously, that's that's a completely different risk than buying physical gold. But then, of course, mm-hmm. uh, as Eric Sprott knows pretty well, then you can have 10, 20, 30 baggers, yeah, if if you really get it right. But it is something that really needs your attention where you have to do the homework. And if you say, well, I don't have the nerves, I don't have the time, then just outsource this to to professionals. If you ask me what's the perfect percentage of gold in your portfolio, I think it's not possible to say that. I would in general say the younger you are, the more equity risk you should probably take. We crunch the numbers and at least you should have, I would say, 10 to 15% gold whenever a a swiss private bank says uh, we we recommend our clients to hold two percent physical gold as a hedge i'll say well it's nice but it's not going to make a difference yeah that's that's not Mm -hmm. really a hedge but i think 10 to 15 percent this is something that that should be allocated in the gold space and if you can really tolerate the risk, then, of course, also the mining space, because as the great Jim Grant said, the only permanent truth in finance is that people will get bullish at the top and bearish at the bottom.
0: Is there anything that I haven't asked that you wanted to convey to our listeners out there? Any, any last kind of points of wisdom you want to you wanna leave us with?
1: I think for everybody who's slightly uneasy when it comes to the price of gold, just have a look at uh, you know the development of debt. U.S. national debt uh, in the U.S. Uh, just crossed above uh, 34 trillion for the first time. So so that's 101,000 per U.S. citizen, or I think 260,000 per taxpayer. I think that's that's already a pretty pretty good case for gold. I would say people shouldn't expect too much from the price of gold every time i hear like outrageous price forecasts i think well you know hold your horses but i think gold is just fine gold has really delivered it has very reliably done its job over the last couple of years and i think it will continue to do so if you want to have a little bit more you know a little bit more momentum, then consider silver, consider mining stocks. But gold, I think, is, is just fine.
0: That's a great, great way to leave our uh, our listeners. Thank you for that insight. You know, and, and speaking of our listeners, for anyone out there that wants to learn more about Ronnie and his extensive research at Incrementum, I encourage you to visit their website. It's, it's a spectacular site as far as research reports and, and papers. And frankly, the monthly gold compass is one of my favorite. I sort of start every month with that report and look at the charts on there and kind of build my own ideas but you can visit them at um, incrementum.li it's incrementu L-I. and you'll see all the different opportunities out there to download reports and so forth for those that want to have interest as well you can go to our website once we publish and and look at the um, the transcript and we'll have a link to their site there as well so Ronnie, it's always a treat to see you. It's always a treat to have you on here. Thank you for making the time to join us on Sprout Radio.
1: Ed, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And and perhaps save the date, 17th of May. That's the big date where we will publish the next In Gold with Trust report. And we're already basically working 24-7 on that. Um, so 17th of May, the next In Gold with Trust report.
0: Well, and you know I'll have you back on in the summer to hear about so. it. So. yeah uh, <laughs> Well, we'll be talking then. Well, once again, I'm Ed Coyne, and and thank you all for listening to Sprott Radio.
2: This podcast is provided for information purposes only from sources believed to be reliable. However, Sprott does not warrant its completeness or accuracy. Any opinions and estimates constitute our judgment as of the date of this material and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This communication is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any financial instrument. Any opinions and recommendations herein do not take into account individual client circumstances, objectives, or needs and are not intended as recommendations of particular securities, financial instruments, or strategies. You must make your own independent decisions regarding any securities, financial instruments, or strategies mentioned or related to the information herein. This communication may not be redistributed or retransmitted in whole or in part or in any form or manner without the express written consent of Sprott. Any unauthorized use or disclosure is prohibited. Receipt and review of this information constitutes your agreement not to redistribute or retransmit the contents and information contained in this communication without first obtaining express permission from an authorized officer of Sprott. (laughs) mm <laughs>